Welcome back, Hemming Brainiacs, to the Hemming Brain List podcast, Epilogue 2, Chapter 4 of War and Peace. We're nearing the end of War and Peace. How many chapters left are there? Actually, let me have a look. I don't know if it actually goes right up until New Year's Eve. There are 12 chapters in Epilogue 2, and we're up to 4. That means 8 more chapters, which will take us to for the 28th of December. So there you go. We'll have a couple of days in between where we might just read... Last year, actually, what we did was read a few um, short stories. Was it last year or at some point during the Hemingway list? So maybe we'll do that again. We'll read a couple of short stories because on January 1st, we'll be starting our next Hemingway list book, which is Buddenbrooks. Buddenbrooks by Thomas Mann. I think I got that right which I know zero about, so I'm excited. I'm going to keep it that way and go into it completely in the dark. I think that's a good way to read a book sometimes, just absolutely knowing zero about it and just seeing what you get. All right. Exciting stuff. I hope you'll join us for the next book, Button Brooks, um, and we'll, we'll keep reading into the new year. should be fun. Epilogue. Oh yeah, and if you've got any good ideas for a short story to read in the meantime, in between time, let us know and we'll um, we'll read that too. Epilogue 2, Chapter 4 goes like this. Do you agree... Oh, sorry. <laughs> These are the discussion prompts. Uh, do you agree with Tolstoy's assertion that power lies outside the person? If the source of power lies neither in the physical nor in the moral qualities of the person who possesses it, then it is obvious that the source of this power must be found outside this person in those relations to the masses in which the person who possesses power finds himself. Power is the sum total of the wills of the masses transferred by express or tacit agreement to rulers chosen by the masses. What do you think, uh, sorry, what do you take away as Tolstoy's main feeling on the subject of power within rulers? Why do you think this is an important question to Tolstoy, his original reader, us, uh, do you agree with Tolstoy that often history is too focused on the big names and not enough on the people who lived? Warren Kovacki says, I won't prevent, pretend to know what the hell Tolstoy was trying to get at. This is beyond me, I'm afraid. You know, it's probably not. It's probably not beyond you. You're probably, you know what is probably happening? You're probably thinking that in all these words he's saying something. You know, he's communicating a new and novel point which is the whole point of language to communicate an idea to someone else. Uh, and he's not, because he's just saying stuff that he's already said a dozen times. So maybe you're looking for something new and feeling like I'm not understanding this new thing Tolstoy is trying to say. But actually, I don't really think he is. I think he's just saying the same thing over and over and over. Big Bowler Brad says, Considering a few decades after the book was written, the whole country devoured itself from the bottom up. I'd say he was right. Well, there you go. Karakikar says, I think we're seeing here the beginning of Tolstoy's argument for anarchy. He says that when explaining these rapid transfers of the people's will from one individual to another, transfers are not normal delegations of the people's will, but are accidents depending on cunning or mistakes or craft, or on the weakness of a diplomatist, a ruler, or a party leader. The idea of the right to rule based on the people's will is shown to be false since it can be subverted so easily. So if leaders don't have the right to rule... Is it just that they do? Is it just that they do? Myself, I think the pandemic has convinced me that government does need does need to exist, but I think I agree that the basis of power 
is often shaky. Often shaky indeed. Um, yeah. I don't know. I got, I've got no opinion. <laughs> I got nothing. Well said, but I've got nothing. Four Lost Souls of all says this. I skipped every sentence that nebulously raged, ragged on historians and every rhetorical question and I was left with two paragraphs. Does Tolstoy have anything of substance to say or is he just going to continually scribble vague philosophical questions with the hope that simply positing them will imply that he has the answers? Yeah, we're all getting a bit over that, aren't we? Um, I feel like he thinks he has the answers, or at least he feels clever that he's smart enough to point out these rhetorical questions, um, but without even necessarily knowing, you know, you can point out how stupid something is, it doesn't mean you know better. Is that what he's doing? Potentially. Let's read the next chapter. Chapter 5 goes like this. The life of the nations is not contained in the lives of a few men for the connection between those men and the nations has not been found the theory that this connection is based on the transference of the collective will of a people to certain historical personages is an hypothesis unconfirmed by the experience of history the theory of the transference of the collective will of the people to historic persons may perhaps explain why, uh, much in the domain of jurisprudence and be essential for its purposes but in its application to history, as soon as revolutions, conquests, or civil wars occur, that is, as soon as history begins, that theory explains nothing. The theory seems irrefutable just because the act of transference of the people's will cannot be verified, for it never occurred. Whatever happens, and whoever may stand at the head of affairs, the theory can always say that such and such a person took the lead because the collective will was transferred to him. The replies this theory gives to historical questions are like the replies of a man who, watching the movement of a herd of cattle and paying no attention to the varying quality of the pasturage in different parts of the field or to the driving of the herdsmen, should attribute the direction the herd takes to what animal happens to be at its head. The herd goes in that direction because the animal in front leads it and the collective will of all the other animals is vested in that leader. This is what historians of the first class say, those who assume the unconditional transference of the people's will. If the animals leading the herd change, this happens because the collective will of the animals is transferred from one leader to another, according to whether the animal is or is not leading them in the direction selected by the whole herd. Such is the reply historians who assume that the collective will of the people is delegated to rules under conditions which they regard as known. With this method of observation, it often happens that the observer, influenced by the direction of himself, he himself prefers, regards those as leaders who, owing to the people's change of direction, are no longer in front but on one side, or even in the rear. If the animals in front are continually changing and the direction of the whole herd is constantly altered, this is because in order to follow a given direction, the animals transfer their will to the animals that have attracted our attention and to study the movements of the herd we must watch the movements of all the prominent animals moving on all sides of the herd so say the third class of historians who regard all historical persons from monarchs to journalists as the expression of their age the theory of the transference of the will of the people to historic persons is merely a paraphrase a restatement of the question in other words 
What causes historical events? Power. What is power? Power is the collective will of the people transferred to one person. Under what condition is the will of the people delegated to one person? On the condition that that person expresses the will of the whole people. That is, power is power. In other words, power is a word that meaning of which we do not understand. If the realm of human knowledge were confirmed to abstract reasoning, then having subjected to criticism the explanation of power that juridical science gives us, humanity would conclude that power is merely a word and has no real existence. But to understand phenomena, man has besides abstract reasoning, experience by which he verifies his reflections. And experience tells us that power is not merely a word, but an actual existing phenomenon. Not to speak of the fact that no description of the collective activity of men can do without the conception of power, the existence of power is proved both by history and by observing contemporary events. Whenever an event occurs, a man appears, or men appear, by whose will the events seem to have taken place. Napoleon III issues a decree, and the French go to Mexico. The King of Prussia and Bismarck issues decrees, and an army enters Bohemia. Napoleon I issues a decree and an army enters Russia. Alexander I gives a command and the French submit to the Bourbons. Experience shows us that whatever event occurs, it is always related to the will of one or of several men who have decreed it. The historians, in accord with the old habit of acknowledging divine intervention in human affairs, want to see the cause of events in the expression of the will of someone endowed with power but that supposition is not confirmed either by reason or by experience. On the one side, reflection shows that the expression of a man's will, his words, are only part of the general activity expressed in an event, as for instance in a war or a revolution, and so without assuming an incomprehensible supernatural force or miracle, one cannot admit that words can be the immediate cause of the movements of millions of men. On the other hand, even if we admitted that words could be the cause of events, history, history shows that the expression of the will of historical personages does not, in most cases, produce any effect. That is to say, their commands are often not executed and sometimes the very opposite, opposite of what they order occurs. Without admitting divine intervention in the affairs of humanity, we cannot regard power as the cause of events. Power from the standpoint of experience is merely the relation that exists between the expression of someone's will and the execution of that will by others. To explain the conditions of that relationship, we must first establish a conception of the expression of will, referring it to man and not to the deity. If the deity issues a command, expresses his will, as ancient history tells us, the expression of that will is independent of time and is not caused by anything, for the divinity is not controlled by an event. But speaking of commands that are the expression of the will of men acting in time and in relation to one another to explain the connection of commands with events, we must restore one, the condition of all that takes place, the continuity of movement in both time, in time both of the events and of the person who commands, and two, the inevitability of the connection between the person commanding and those who execute his command. Whoa, all right, there we go. Whatever, Tolstoy. Anything. Yes. Cool. Thanks for listening, guys. See you tomorrow.